The Nebo Company presents Leading the Emergence with your host, Kate Ebner. Good afternoon. I'm Kate Ebner. My guest today is Deborah Ancona. She is um, here to talk with us about sense making. And I have to tell you, it's my great pleasure to have her as a guest today. Um, Deborah is the Seeley Distinguished Professor of Management, um, Professor of Organizational Studies, and founder of the MIT Leadership Center at the MIT Sloan School of Management. She has done pioneering research into how successful teams operate and has highlighted the critical importance of managing outside as well as inside the team's boundary. Her work has also looked at concepts like distributed leadership um, and the development of teaching and coaching models that enable people to foster creative leadership on every level. Uh, In my work, we frequently reference an article that Deborah um, contributed to called In Praise of the Incomplete Leader. This is available through the Harvard Business Review. And as I've been studying this question of emergence and how do we understand what an emergence is and what is emerging from this post-pandemic or this um, pandemic into post-pandemic period, I find myself turning again and again, Deborah, to your work, to your ideas, and in particular to your four caps model. Um, Out of that four caps model, we're going to actually focus today on the topic of sense-making. So I want to begin by just welcoming you and saying thank you for joining me. Well, it's lovely to be here. Uh, So thanks for the invitation. And uh, I'm glad that the work has been useful. It really has. And I and I will just start by saying that, you know, sense making to me is um, very consistent with work that we've done um, at the Institute for Transformational Leadership, really thinking about how people make meaning of the world that they live in, how as human beings we are um, meaning making machines, so to speak. You know, no sooner does something happen to us than we begin to, to, to describe it and think about what it is that's just happened and what it means. And so what I'd like to begin with is just actually inviting you, Deborah, to share your definition of sense-making. Sure. Um, So I want to give credit where credit is due. Sense-making has been brought into the organizational arena by Carl Weick. Carl uh, was a professor at the University of Michigan, and uh, he's written numerous books on the topic of sense-making. We use it in a slightly different way, just referring to how you make sense of the context in which you are operating. So it's asking the question, really, what's going on out there? Uh, Because particularly now when uh, the speed at which change is happening, it was accelerating before COVID, but now it's really on steroids. And so you constantly have to make sense of your context because what you saw a month ago, a week ago, is not the same thing that you see today. So really it is understanding what's going on across your across your boundaries in that external world or even within your boundaries as well. Things are changing within organizational uh, boundaries as well. So making sense of that context and um, we, we typically think of several different aspects of sense-making. Uh, one is to be open to the external environment and what has changed, uh, because it's very easy to get locked in what you think 
the environment looks like to get locked into, okay, these are my competitors, or this is the latest technology, and not being open to the fact that that model might be outdated. A second aspect of sense-making is collecting a lot of data. Uh, so if you want to know what's going on out there, you have to get out and um, learn from others and observe, interview, uh, do um, focus groups, whatever's necessary to learn about your environment. Uh, you need to then pull it all together. Just going out and collecting more information does not get you far unless you can consolidate it. Say, what are the patterns? What are the trends? What does it look like? Carl Weick talks about sense-making as map-making, uh, that the leader is a cartographer that has to pull together all these disparate pieces of data into something that makes sense, a map that others can read. And finally, um, experimenting to update and improve the model over time. So that's a rather long-winded answer to the question of what is sense-making. Well, it's a great answer. And, you know, so many thoughts came to my mind as I was listening to you. And I think we'll dig into this um, in, in several different ways. But, I mean, one of the things that you said is that we constantly have to make sense of our context and the, that the COVID pandemic has meant that our context was, you know, accelerated the momentum of change. It also brought new context practically month by month. And so I think for many leaders and organizations, the need to um, not only make sense, you know, once, but to continuously keep checking in and triangulating new information, assessing, you know, the environment, and then figuring out, okay, where are we now? What does it mean? And how does that shape and influence the choices and decisions available to us? You know, what direction are we heading? It's been very, very intense for people, as you know. And I'm, I'm interested in starting with a, a question that's kind of a big question, but during a time of uncertainty, and that's the phrase that people have used, brought on by the pandemic, many storylines have emerged about the future. And I'm curious as you've been tracking with this rapidly changing context, what are the storylines that you've been noticing or following? Um, so that's an interesting question. And, and I think in some ways what we've been following to date is, is actually not as interesting as the pivot that people are making now, which is what is going to be happening after we sort of come out of the pandemic. And um, so I, I think there, the, the key the key trend, I think, is, is saying that it's not going to be the same as it was before, but it's not going to be totally different either. So what does that mean? Um, because there have been so many changes in so many domains, whether it's telemedicine or education being online as well as hybrid, uh, whether it's work with people working from home and um, working in, in different ways or um, travel. Uh, are we going to go back to traveling or how is it going to be different? Um, banking, I did some work with the um, uh, World Development uh, Bank and 
what they have to do with their customers is completely different because the needs are very different. And so all of a sudden they find themselves creating, for example, public-private partnerships where none existed before. Um, research is very different. Uh, R&D organizations in pharma are, um, ha- have been working in very different ways. You have big competitors, um, whether it's um, uh, Merck ver- ver- working with Pfizer or uh, Takeda working uh, with Novartis, all of a sudden competitors are working together and they're collaborating not only with themselves, but with the government, with regulators, with universities. They're trying things out more rapidly, trying to do more in in tandem. So I think I think the big question across those various and sundry areas is how are we going to come out of this? What's going to be left and what do we go back to? So um that's the the narrative i'm i'm kind of looking at so if going forward more and more people are still working from home how do you also deal with issues at the team level for example of identity of belonging of socializing new members of coordinating uh, it's going to be some hybrid. Perhaps people work from home, but they come in on particular days or at particular moments when new people are coming in or when there's a need for learning across the organization or just for identity or community building. Um, so I think the, the key question now is, is what is the meshing of this new world we'd come to exist in and the old world? What is that going to look like across these various domains? Yeah, that's a really great and, and clarifying question, actually, for us to to take in. And, you know, I, I think, you know, in the early days of, of the pandemic, people would say that we can get back to normal, we can get back to usual. And I think this idea of, yeah, you know, some things will return, other things will be different, um, some new things may be present. Um, there's a meshing going on and you know change as, as we know change is is inevitable change is always happening I think we've seen this acceleration and we've also seen these new forces come into play um, I'm curious about um, the comment you made earlier about uh, Carl Weicke's work um, where he, you said that he would describe you know the concept of leader as cartographer sort of making maps um, and I'm curious about how to make a map when there's so much change happening. Well, that's a good question. How do you make a map when so much is, is, um, is changing? And so I think you make a map through a variety of, of ways. Um, first of all, I think from a leadership standpoint, um, first thing you need to do to make a map is get a lot of people sense-making because you can't make a map unless you have the data to do so. So leaders then need to signal that it's important, um, say, okay, this is something we're going to do and, and show people the value of that. Um, Hey, uh, the, the, Industry has changed. If we don't keep up now, we're going to fall behind. Uh, so, so signal that it's important um, and 
begin to model it, begin to do it. Um, so for example, um, I was, um, lucky enough to to get invited to uh, dinner with uh, a CEO who was interested in, in shifting models of leadership. And what was really interesting is that before we got to the dinner where we were going to discuss uh, sense-making and other capabilities, he had a cocktail hour. And in that cocktail hour, he had his senior team not wandering around with their cocktails, just chatting away, but rather in a circle right around, um, not around him, but he was part of the circle. And he would basically start off by saying, okay, so-and-so, what's going on in your part of the business? What keeps you up at night? What are the challenges? Uh, What are you nervous about? What are you excited about? Uh, And getting each of the people around that circle to report in so that at the end of the cocktail hour, everybody had a better sense of what was going on. There was collective sense-making about what was going on. So modeling and getting getting people in, involved and enthusiastic um, and showing as you collect data, then you send that practice out to others. Um, I think, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think that's a really great example because you know, that even though that might look and feel somewhat like the sort of classic update conversation, people updating each other, the, the additional effort to make sense together of what we're experiencing. Um, so the, yes, there's this getting informed part, but there's also a kind of a processing together is what I'm hearing. Yeah. And, you know, you can also make it a practice in your organization, not just to go out. So ask people, go out, go out and observe things, go out and interview people, go out and do focus groups so that you bring in data about what your competitors are doing, about what your customers want, about um, how the market is changing, about what technologies are being used where. You want to give people permission to go out, but also to come back and engage in that. So what did we learn? So what does it mean uh, to collectively come together and create models of the world? And it could be a picture. Um, It could be, here are the five trends that we see, something that pulls that that all together, um, but that it is a collective process. And it's one that you encourage um, not just you and your top team to do, but people throughout the organization. Um, Pre-COVID, I, I always I always like to tell the story of um, my daughter who was um, working at Lee and Fung and uh, part uh, as as an intern as a summer intern, so the lowest person on the totem pole. And when the senior leadership wanted trends in in fashion, um, what did they do? They sent these interns from different parts of the world, Milan and Paris and New York, uh, to go out into the city, take pictures with their camera of boutiques and 
cool department stores. And then those interns had to come back, pull together and say, what did we learn? What are the trends? What do we think is happening now? And then they got on a call with the other two groups uh, so that they can compare and contrast. Here's what's going on everywhere. Here's what's idiosyncratic to this particular city. And then they, those, that, those groups reported out. And so you can get the whole organization engaged in a short period of time. And these, these kids, these young adults were out, you know, for a couple of hours and, um, and yet they came back with uh, lots and lots of information and felt more a part of the organization instead of just sitting at their desks, you can engage the millennials, you can engage uh, folks that you want to pull in and give them a sense of, the whole organization as well as the organization's environment. So I, I think you can make this an ongoing practice across the organization. I think that's a really great example because in a way we're remembering that we can use our own powers of observation, right? We're not um, powerless to understand what's happening. We just have to begin to be really keen observers and look for data as, as you point out. And then, do that work of bringing it all together and, you know, consolidating and synthesizing and drawing some conclusions from it. And I remember in reading um, a chapter that you wrote on sense making that one thing that you said is that sometimes it's better to have a plausible working story than a perfect roadmap. And could you just say a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, so we're trying to understand a hugely complex, fast-moving environment. So the fact of the matter is that we are never going to get it right. We are never going to get it right. So striving to get it perfect can be a waste of time. What you want to do is get as much as you can get or as much as you can learn in a short period of time, so that plausible working model of the world, uh, and then iterate with it, update it, um, try some experiments. Is this right? Is this true? Um, we think that customers want X. Uh, test it out. Do they really want X? Is that what the buying, buying pattern looks like or not? And if it does, great, you continue on. And if it doesn't, you say, okay, I was wrong about that. Uh, and let's go back to the drawing board. So you want to get your assumptions about the future out on the table, what you know consolidated in some way, and then recognize that even that is not going to be reality. It's your map of reality. And as such, the map can be updated. Um, it can be added to at the margin, or at some point you might find that it's so outdated that you have to start all over again. Uh, but the key is, okay, let's be open to what's changed. Let's go out, collect our data. Let's pull it together, make our map, experiment and test the map, improve it. And then when it's no good, throw it out and start all over again. That's the constancy of sense-making. You know, what I love about it, especially as you just described, even the option of throwing it out and starting all over again is how dynamic it is and how different it is than that um, more sort of like static strategic planning thinking of the past, right? Where people have said, okay, you know, again, this is what we think is going to happen this year. Here's our strategic plan or our, our annual plan. Let's, let's go. And I, I think the idea of, of testing your assumptions 
listening closely to what's happening and what people really care about, what, what people really want and need, and then adapting continuously. I mean, that's a, it's a very dynamic um, pattern that you've described. Um, I'm thinking as, as you're talking about this, like you kind of giving us permission to stop trying to do it perfectly and to start uh, kind of tuning in and testing. And I'm curious, um, how would you recommend, especially for organizational leaders, you know, when, when we think about like where to get data, like what kinds of data might we be looking for? What are some sources that somebody might use to inform their sense making? Uh, sure. Um, well, first of all, I would look to experts. Are there experts? Are there analysts in your industry? Are there um, people who've been really good at predicting the next technological um, innovation? Go to the experts and see what they've learned uh, in, in a practice that um, Henrik Bresman calls vicarious learning, or that's a psychological term. You want to learn from others who... Uh, have have done the work that you need done. Uh, so you you can iterate and experiment. That's learning by trial and error. But trial and error is not the most efficient way to learn. It's one way, and you want to add to that vicarious learning. Uh, and so that means, uh, again, experts reaching out to customers. What do customers want? What are they dissatisfied with? Why are they leaving you? Why are they going to competitors? Really get that um as the agility people say, the voice of the customer in there. That's that's really, really useful. Um, what are other people in your industry doing? Um, and beyond your industry, a lot of times people learn uh, by borrowing things from other industries, uh, but that solve a particular problem that your industry uh, might have. Uh, I was working recently with um, a pharma company and... Uh, they were very bureaucratic, and their task was to uh, create a biotech within. And so their sense-making was to look at customers, but also to go and uh, see what their competitors were doing in that space. How did they change? But then also looking at biotech companies. If they wanted to be biotech within, then let's look at what we're trying to emulate and pull in some of the features of what they have uh, changed and morphed given the context that they're in and they can't do everything that that biotech might do. Uh, learning how other companies are sourcing um, for raw materials. Maybe there's something to be learned uh, from someone, again, outside of the industry. Uh, learning from within their own organization. What are people frustrated about? What is really, really not working that they might be able to have some leverage uh, on? So uh, I would think to go in all those different directions to learn uh, as much as you can from your larger ecosystem. And again, that's your, your customers, your competitors, your collaborators, um, the, the experts in your field um, to say, again, answer the question, What's going on out there that we need to know about as we move ahead? You know, I think I think Deborah, you're so um, it's so clear as you describe it, and it makes you know hearing you talk about sort of these practical things that we can do makes it seem very accessible. That we we don't again, like I go back to the way people were feeling last spring and summer. Sort of, we can't see the future. We don't know how to plan. We don't know how to make sense out of what's happening in the world and what the implications are 
for all of us, for our industries, for our organizations, even for our families and our own way of working and way of living. And so it's um, really interesting to think about how this approach called sense making can be applied. To- I'm going to interrupt you. Sir. I apologize for a moment to say, yeah, it, it, it's not that difficult. But that said, it often doesn't get done. And there are several reasons for that. Uh, one is if you ask people what makes a great leader, uh, sense-making usually does not come up. People sure. talk about visioning and execution and building trust. People do not talk about sense-making. Now, that has changed somewhat uh, from the pandemic. Uh, and I always ask the question in my uh, classes with executives or, or work that I'm doing, um, you know, what are the most important leadership capabilities? And it used to be that making sense of your external environment was tiny, under 5% of people would market. Now it's it's gone up, in some cases, up to 40% because people recognize the, the change. But A, it's not in people's mental model of leadership, of what leaders need to do. B, even if people know it's important, they say, oh, I don't have the time. It's it's such a big task and we have many things to do, to which I reply, we well, don't have time not to do sense making because otherwise you're, you're going to put a lot of effort into things that are not valid anymore. Uh, but nonetheless, you have to get over that reluctance, that inertia, that wanting to stay in as opposed to going out. And that's another thing. People are very wary of how do I go out? Well, why don't you just, I say, just get started. Call one person tomorrow um, that might give you information that's new and different, uh, offers a different perspective. Uh, get your team, everybody on your team, to make one phone call next week um, and see what that yields. Try a focus group with with a community that, that you need to understand better now that the pandemic um, has has wrought its its future or it's has has wrought its I don't know what the word is but um now that we are in a different place uh just send some barometer out there to say okay how do we measure what's different um and and again it could be very small things Uh, I would like to underline that you can learn an awful lot in a short period of time uh and so how do you mobilize so first you have to believe that it's important. And second of all, you have to uh, just get started by mobilizing yourself and others in small ways so that people can see the value and then it'll take off from there. That's right. And it is ongoing. You know, you said in the beginning that there are three elements to sense making, being open to the external environment and what has changed. So I would also add for listeners, notice what you're attached to. Because, you know, those attachments may not be well-placed, right? So, again, being open to that external environment, what has changed, collecting a lot of data, consolidating it, and drawing some insight, some conclusions from it, and then experimenting, testing, um, and adapting. So, as, as we think about sense-making, I know our time is, is, is almost up, Deborah, and I, I want to ask you one last question, and... Um, then I would like you to just for a moment tell people how they can find more of your work. So those are my my two remaining things. But the first question is, um, I'm struck by the the way we often, as leadership coaches, talk about sort of the CEO or the leader's job is storytelling. It's 
It's being able to tell the story of the organization, past, present, and future. It's being able to make meaning or make sense and describe uh, that context, to use your word, to others. Um, so there's, I, I'm curious if you would describe sense-making as the same thing as storytelling or maybe an element of storytelling. Yeah, so I think of storytelling usually as sense-giving as opposed to sense-making. Um, it, 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 part of how you pull data together is in a story. So in a sense, a story can be your consolidation of what you've learned and, and what's important, what patterns you've found. Um, but but sense-making itself includes those other things. You, you need to collect the data, open up your mind, test things out um, before you tell the story uh, so that the story that you're telling again, is up to date and and reflects where things are right now. So I think storytelling can be incorporated into sense-making, again, as sense-giving or as, as this consolidation of what you've learned. Uh, but if you're only storytelling, then you might not be updating your own story of, of what, in fact, is important for your organization. I think that's a really great distinction. I'm so glad I asked you to explain that. Thank you for for this, Deborah, and thank you for the very um, you know in, important discussion that we've just had today. I know I've learned a lot from you, and um, like many people, I'm sure they're wondering how they can learn even more. And um, I know that you've written many books, including X Teams: How to Build Teams That Lead, Innovate, and Succeed. Um, that you have an organization called XLEAD that does consulting work and has many tools to offer leaders. I'm also wondering um, how, you, how you would guide people to, to find you um, for collaboration or to learn from the work that you've done. Um, yeah, so uh, it's, it's pretty easy uh, either going to the MIT Sloan um, faculty page to find some of the references uh, of what my current work is. Uh, a lot of that work is also included in um, XLEAD. Uh, XLEAD is, by the way, not a consulting company. We, we, are create, we create tools and help others to do coaching and leadership assessment and learn about our, our individual leadership model, our X team or team model uh, about work on nimble organizations, which is new work on how the whole organization can move from bureaucracies to more nimble forms of organizing. Um, so references to that, uh, for example, that latter part, nimble, we just um, published a Harvard Business Review article on that that was published last year. Um Five Leadership Things You Need to Do in, in Digital Change. We published an article on that on Sloan Management Review. So again, you can either just Google me or go to MIT Sloan or go to XLEAD for uh, those references. Uh, there are also at MIT Sloan a number of exec ed courses uh, that I teach. Uh, a new one is coming in May on nimble uh, leadership. Uh, also have uh, Transforming Your Leadership Strategy, which is about our individual leadership model, which includes sense-making. Uh, and go to xlead.co if you're interested in tools that can help you uh, develop as leaders uh, individually, as a team, or as an organization. Uh, because 
we've been studying this work for a very long time. And part of the goal of XLEAD is really to help people to access uh, the models and ways of operating that, that we've created. And uh, we would love to share the knowledge. Fantastic. Well, today you've been sharing the knowledge and uh, we really appreciate hearing from you and learning from you. Um, thank you. Thank you very much, Deborah and Con. Well, and thank you very much because you've been um, you've been great uh, discussion partner as you picked up on on what I'm talking about and, and linked it to some of your own work and and what your company is doing. So uh, it's good to see that that we are aligned in in a lot of our thinking. So thank you very much. My pleasure, and thank you for joining us today. Leading the emergence is sponsored by. The Nebo Company. If you would like to talk to Nebo about how to support the leaders in your organization, please contact us at www.nebocompany.com. Thank you.